0: I'm joined today by regular guest Tom Castley. Tom, as many of you know, is the vice president of EMEA for Outreach and still the holder of the most popular podcast we've done to date. And today I'm going to be talking to Tom about how to stage highly productive sales meetings. Tom, you're very welcome back. Thank you very much, Paul. Yeah, good to be here again. Tom, I'd like to start maybe with just in your experience, how would you characterise what you typically experience when it comes to how sales meetings are typically
1: conducted? I suppose my biggest bugbear with how uh, meetings are typically typically conducted is um, they kind of run as a feature film rather than as a TV series. And what I mean by that is, uh, sales reps typically forget what's happened previously in terms of like character development and, and how it's gone on over mid-cycle uh, and what the story can be like further along. They just kind of turn up in the moment and say, oh, this is, this is a demonstration meeting, so we'll do a demo. This is a scoping meeting, so we'll do a scoping session without really being thoughtful about, as I say, what's happened before and what should ideally happen afterwards.
0: Okay, so if I've understood you correctly, if you look at, say, some TV series and use that as an analogy, very often, at the very beginning, they'll give you a precie of what's gone before, and it'll typically be relevant. It'll be the bits that have gone before that are relevant to what we're going to be looking at today. Yeah. And that's what you're saying is that that's how right. they, they would be run more productively if we did that.
1: Yeah, I think if we look at it in a micro perspective, yes, the idea of having you know, an upfront contract in Sandler terminology that kind of to like sets the agenda for the meeting confirms that everybody understands. I'm thinking more about the preparation even in advance of that. So, okay. um, you know, it, yeah, the, the lack of relationship I see in a lot of organizations and or a lot of salespeople, not the top performing ones, but we're not talking about those ones at the moment. But the, you know, the top performing reps, it's like a Star Wars trilogy. Everything has been thought out years in advance in terms of where that story is going. And it's well rehearsed and practiced. and they're, and they're And they're good at inspiring a prospect to come along more on their journey rather than on the prospect's journey because we're experts in selling and they're not experts necessarily in buying. But the non-expert seller is kind of having, I don't know, um, first meetings like 50 first dates. The second meeting is like the first episode of the Godfather. The third meeting is Star Wars. I mean, the lack of interrelationship and how they prepare for success between those. Um, Mm. it's as though it's nearly as bad as thinking about would you put a different sales rep onto each meeting with the customer? Of course you wouldn't, but that's kind of how they turn up. Mm.
0: So what I'm hearing that there's an element of the macro and micro about this. The macro is what you're talking about, which I think is the bigger picture of what's what's the journey that the Mm. prospect is going on? What's their story? How's that going to be told? of what's our role in that? Yeah, yeah. And then the micro probably goes to what I was thinking about in terms of how that particular, how a particular event within the context of that is Indeed. played out. That it's often seen as an event rather than part of a broader narrative.
1: Yeah, and and the two of them are obviously very related. Uh, I, what I wanted to do was just call out that there are two things to think about here: the macro and the micro the performance on the day, and the preparation before and after. And when you see this, how do you go about addressing it? Um, well, uh, first and foremost, that's, um, there's been some work done recently. I think there was, it was probably Forrester uh, or Gartner It's one or the other. But uh, when CROs were interviewed and asked, are they implementing biocentric strategies? 68 percent of them said they were and so the buyer was at the center of their process in other words we shouldn't be having this conversation because CROs are adamant that it's fixed already Uh, and yet when the prospects were asked 24 percent of them felt like they were having buyer-centric meetings so there's a different there's a huge gap between kind of aspiration expectation and actually what's happening in the field so you know um First and foremost, I, uh, you know, one of the traps that we get in as sales reps is, you know, uh, uh, most of us are using a CRM system and have a sales process in it. The sales process has nothing to do with the buying process, and and trying to map that to every single buying organization is nigh on impossible. So, you know, the idea of well, we're in we're in the sales process. We're going to go into scoping now. Well. I don't know. buyers don't buy in a linear fashion. They're all over the place. And buying committees and some of the research we've been publishing lately is you know, minimum of 11 people in a buying cycle, up to 22 in enterprise. Uh, if you think you can have them walk through a process like a marching band from one end to the other, good luck. Uh, if you want a job, come to us. <laughs> because if, you, if you've worked out how to do that, I'm all ears. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they're, they're all over them. So, was, um,
0: it's it's it. Sorry, Tom, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so th- the great sellers have worked out uh, and think about the buyer's journey and how to replicate oh. that. Uh, and then what they're good at doing is internally massaging that process into, their sales, into the sales process that's in the CRM.
0: So do you need a sales process then? Should the sales process not become just a mere reflection of each
1: Here's major my, opportunity I, I,
0: that you're chasing?
1: Uh, I, I, I would love, uh, you know, sales stages were never the invention of sales. They were the invention of finance to put some form of risk and algorithm to the predictability of revenue coming into the organization dependent on where they thought the conversation was at. And that's a bit like giving somebody directions to Edinburgh and saying, right, Oxford, Birmingham, Manchester, Edinburgh. Right. There's there's a ton of stuff that happens in between each of those places, let alone stopping for petrol and the mandatory Burger King and the motorway services at some point. Right? <laughs> um, and, um, you know, and, and this was implemented 15, 20 years ago, right, in terms of where that came from. You know, I, I, yeah. I can't think of a modern day sales training or sales process company that is being so specific about stages. They talk about it, it's very much more fluid. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, in Sandler, which you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, there's three stages for me, you know, discovery, closed version two, presentation. And mm. that's that's the sales process. And then the buying process is something bespoke for a given customer where you've effectively done some project management with them uh, that should end at payback. Signatures should be just somewhere in the middle. It's a, it's a critical path step uh, and begins with, with you both deciding whether this is worth the time, effort, resource and money to have a look at. Mm.
0: So if I've understood it, what you're saying is that with, with any, any sales opportunity, there's typically repeatable milestones along the path signature on a contract would be one of them obviously yeah we're going to discuss money at some stage we're going to figure out how this is going to work etc that but but really that's as defined as it should be is that there's a milestone here's how you know when you've got there but getting there is going to depend on the weather the route you're taking the vehicle you're in where you're trying
1: to get to ultimately is 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 that is that a
0: what we're talking yeah, about yeah uh,
1: and and again this it's probably not going to it's going to create more questions than answers for folks listening to mm-hmm. it but then guess what I, I don't have all the answers if i did i'd i'd have a series of books and be retired by now <laughs> right. uh, but in you know i i've been talking a lot over the last year about just the simple statement people buy emotionally and justify rationally and mm-hmm. um yeah, what I tend to find is uh, reps will get into the rational process earlier than they should do, and uh, and they'll stay in the emotional process longer than they should as well. When you know that's happening, for example... Now, if you present uh, an ROI to somebody before somebody's emotionally bought into it, it's never going to happen, because they're not ready to... You know, An ROI justifies an emotional decision that somebody's already made, right? Yep. So that's an example of things being brought earlier. The other one is if you're ever on a sales call and you hear, look, can you just stop selling to us? At the moment, we're trying to, you know, because they're still pitching and the customer's already decided they're ahead of you. And um, and I've certainly seen that a lot more this year because people are making emotional decisions quicker because there's an appetite for change. There there are macro and microeconomic factors going on that's meaning that people need to make decisions quicker. Um what they need help with is the rational bit at the, at the other end. So, you know, work out first and foremost, am I in the emotional stage or am I in the rational stage? Um, yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, picking up where I am in this meeting, because that determines how I turn up. If I'm in the emotional stage, I'm still, you know, uh, digging three levels of why, what pain funnels, you know, all of these areas to help the customer Discover that doing nothing is the worst possible decision they could make.
0: So, if we're looking then at this idea of the emotional stage versus the rational stage, how does that fit into the idea where you said you've got, I think, up to twenty-four participants? But let's just keep it simple and say there's eleven. Yeah, um, and that there there's various things that impact on buyers' emotions. One is. What happens or doesn't happen as a result of fixing this particular problem that they're trying to address, but then there's also the emotions, the more micro-emotions in the moment. Is in terms of you say something to them and it just upsets them, or you're you're late and they're they're frazzled, those kind of things. So I, I want to maybe draw the distinction between the emotions associated with the goal that we're trying to achieve, mm. and then the, the micro-emotions that, I don't think those ever depart. Mm. You know, there's, there's early on, do they like you or not? And I think once they've established that, they're justifying to themselves whether they do or they don't. There's the confirmation bias. But there's other things that need to be managed, the relationship along the way. We all know you can have a great relationship with, with somebody and then for whatever reason, we're not on the same page about something and there's a falling out and then everything escalates. And that can happen at any time in the relationship, right?
1: Yeah. So let's, um, I, I think where we're heading to here is let's focus on, on the emotional part of the sales cycle because the rational part, uh, top tip, take a project management course. Uh, and turn up like a project manager in the rational part of the sales cycle you'll be far more helpful to your buyer at that point in the emotional side of it uh, you know there is uh, an element of science but there's a lot of art uh, that goes into it and uh, you're absolutely right as you' as you're massaging your way through say the 11 people, uh, you've got to have a, a, there's a. There's a visual that goes with that. That's not working for right. me. I didn't have the same visual, but you know. I hey. know, but it's, it's me. I know.
0: I I, I take yeah. full ownership of that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just, just, yeah, I could I could go off of that, and I'm also. Really, really, we're both delete, on the same delete, page
0: on that. Let's delete, not go
1: yeah. there. <laughs> right. Let's not go to you, the end. As you're networking your way through those eleven people. Um, You have to be respectful of everybody in the process. What I'm I'm seeing, you know, we had uh, something here. We've been kind of, uh, we know that if we have somebody, uh, you know, who there's two types of people in an organization, people who set budgets and people who spend budgets. The people who set budgets are critical to every project at the moment because most of it, especially at this time of year, is unbudgeted spend they would have spent it at the beginning of the year to get stuff done or they're setting a budget for next year so you still want to speak to the people who set budgets so you've got people who set budgets and people who spend them and uh one of the over rotations i've seen with a couple of my team recently is you know kind of is over uh, over rotating on the importance of the people above the line uh these kind of you know this, the senior folks c-level folks vps and what have you uh, and and not necessarily spending enough people with uh, who are going to be using the platform and, and running through. We fixed it um, because uh, if you don't, you effectively lose part of your audience. So as a salesperson, you need to be able to turn up as a social chameleon and be able to relate to where people are at. Yeah. And that needs to be a conscious effort and you need to work hard at it. Uh, A great, uh, I always like to give a tip on your call, I I think uh, there's a, um, and I've totally forgot the name of it at the moment, it'll come back to me, Crystal Nose. Crystal Nose is a a profiling tool, you can use it free for 10 or 15 meetings I think. Um, You can profile yourself, kind of get to know you on a disk profile, and and it will profile the people you're speaking to. That helps Mm. me turn up in, in the right kind of frame of mind. Two is, uh, you know, talking about that, you need to be respectful of all parties. That obviously helps. You need to be nurturing. You need to guide people through the process. Um, you need to have a hypothesis that's being developed over time. And what I mean by hypothesis, as you're learning stuff, as you're having more meetings, there will be an expectation on behalf of people that you're talking to, even if it's the first time you've spoken to them. If you say, oh, I've spoken to Jim, Dave, Jane and, uh, and Emma, then, well, what have you learned from that process? Mm. Uh, and in a way that's not telling them, but is a way that's saying, Look, I'm sharing that with you to get your perspective on, on this, because it's important. Uh, and what I'd love to do is to add your name to that list so that we've got a collective view of what's going on in the business and what's important.
0: Mm.
1: So, so you did that. Sorry, go on. I'm... Yeah, I was going to say, so the three things on there is, uh, anybody you have a meeting with is important regardless of their own, because you're giving up your time, which is unbelievably valuable. So why would you do a meeting that isn't important? Yeah, so number one, they're important. Number two is uh, you need to give them context uh, and help them turn up prepared. You might even send some stuff in advance of the meeting, uh, especially now we only have half-hour meetings. When we have two-hour meetings, you could kind of bring them up to speed during the meeting, go and have a coffee, chat about it, come back and then have the meeting. Now we have oh, half an hour. Why not just send a deck in advance? Well, this is what we'll be discuss, you know, talking through. Let's discuss it while we're on the call. Um, well, and third is 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 nurture and listen to them as, you, as you're going through that call. And don't rush it. When you rush people, that's when you put people in a corner where they'll react emotionally to you. Well, makes sense. There's a few things I want to
0: unpack. On that stuff in advance, what I've found really useful... And I don't know how long it'll be different for, but certainly still sending people a video. Here's some thoughts. Yeah. It, because it's just different. It gets their attention rather than an email that when people are busy, they're just not checking their inbox. But maybe a video that, on LinkedIn or, that pops up that catches their attention. But um, I, I think what I'm, what I'm hearing is that you're saying that there's a, a, a theme that's developing. You're developing a view early on and then you're using subsequent meetings to refine that by saying, here's what I understand. I'd like your thoughts on it. And in doing so, you're also getting that emotional buy-in to not just you and your organization, but also the story that's unfolding that needs to be addressed. Did I, did I get that?
1: Uh, you did. And um, the, the two pitfalls of that, what I tend to find is that... Um, um, the ones that do it badly effectively are asking the customers to help them draw the sales reps picture. They're not drawing the customer's picture. So they're not trying to write your product brochure for you. You are just genuinely trying to find out what's going on in the business. And, um, what will happen if you do that? We'll, we'll unpack that one in a second. Um, number two is, um, as you're, You're trying to get to the point at which if we're in a meeting room, the customer's able to pick up the whiteboard pen and finish drawing the picture, Uh right? They start to, they start to own the solution. That's actually when you're bridging out of that emotional sale. And you know, you and I would have had this in the past where you've drawn something up and then they go, can I just grab the pen a minute? So if we could do this and that and something else, and then we could put it here and you're like, right, I just need to shut up at this point and just keep nodding because this is their solution now. They're now owning it. They've kind of gone through that emotional phase. Mm. And, yeah, some tips to making sure you're helping them to draw their picture rather than write our brochure is Mm. uh, as quickly as possible start to take on their language. We were Mm. talking with a customer the other day where we shared the sales funnel. And we had our you know activities, interactions, meetings, opportunities, sales, and I said, "Oh yeah, that's uh, that sounds like R one to R six for us." Every deck that they've ever seen since has R one to R six in it because they understand that. So what we're doing is literally real time translation. Anything that we can replace with their verbiage has uh, is, yeah. is put onto it because, by definition, it's becoming their picture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah was that don't paint seagulls in your prospects picture yeah exactly yeah. Uh, and and the notion of uh, the notion of the desire to find more areas comes from the fact that um you know uh, nothing we sell typically will solve all of the customers challenges they're facing at that moment in time mm right? They, they, they've got a number of initiatives, you know, if, uh, even in my kind of, you know, I've got like nine initiatives I'm working on for next year. There's, there's nothing I could buy that fix all nine. Yeah. But, and and if somebody came to me with a fix for one, I'd probably delegate it because it's an initiative to go and have a look at, even if it was expensive, because I've got another eight to look at. If somebody just so happens to manage to attach even loosely or partially. So do you know what? I think we can do about 30 or 40% of this thing, because that's a brand. But I also think we've got about 5% here, 2% here, and about 8% over here as well. Now I'm looking at somebody who's addressing multiple initiatives for me in uh, either directly or indirectly. I'm now staying engaged in it because the people I've delegated these projects to I'm the only person who sees the overall picture. The great salespeople work out uh, the spider's web of where they may have impact. Yeah.
0: I I love that. I'm I'm also left with a visual when you start saying, I could do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, that it could get messy, and then what about the gaps? where it solves 40% of that, but not the other bit, but I want something that solves all of that? Or am I
1: over, overthinking this? Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at what, you know, uh, outreach, you know, traditionally did, which was, you know, provide a platform uh, to help operationalize pipeline development, right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, as that pertains to an overall picture, for a sales leader, pipeline development just one of the things I care about. So, uh, unless they have a huge pipeline problem, that's going to be a delegated decision to RevOps and the people who run the pipeline for them. And yeah. we could be 100% of that solution. Hmm. Well, when they start to understand, which they do these days, which is actually the telemetry level data you get out of something like outreach, if you applied that to the sales cycle, you could also drive efficiency and predictability in mid. To end of funnel as well, which would then obviously drive growth and conversion rates all the way through it. So, you know, the solutions that they have for the reps is, you know, they've got a CRM system. They're going to probably have, if they're, you know, sensible, some form of sales enablement system, like a seismic high spot show pad, you know, that kind of stuff. If you're adding outreach into that picture, it's not, it's not the be all and end all of that, but it's now having a significant impact. And so by having the conversation about how Uh, You know, solution here, but also can be a value in these other areas. We're now super relevant to a CRO's ultimate game, which is, you know, growth through, you know, efficient and predictable operations. Yeah, it's 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 thinking that it can remember one of the earlier calls where we talked about uh, uh, a C grade seller uh, stops looking for value when they can justify the list price. A B grade seller stops looking for value when the custo- they believe the customer can justify the list price. An A-grade seller stops looking for value when the customer doesn't care what the price is. And the A plus seller stops looking for value when the customer doesn't just care what the doesn't care what the price is, but they can also persuade the rest of the business to not care what the price is as well. Right. Uh, and the right. only way you get to A and A plus is by having attached your product, service, solution, or what have you to a bigger goal. Mm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And also, as
0: like you said, if, if, if somebody does a particular solves, it ticks one box, they get delegated. If they get their hooks into others, I know, or you know as the leader, that if you delegate that, something's going to get lost that the delegated authority is not going to focus on the bigger picture. And therefore, that that loss avoidance is is a very powerful hook, it would seem. Yeah,
1: 100%. And it's, um, you know, again, I would say and a lot of this, what we're kind of noodling on now is not so much kind of meeting tactics, but it's about a, a mindset when you go in and thinking, right, uh, uh, you know, I have a strategy when I turn up for it's a game plan. And uh, now let's think thoughtfully about how this meeting fits into the trilogy, if it's a film thing or into, you know, a season of episodes of your favourite, you know, Netflix show you're looking at. Um, actually, good analogy at that point. Um, your favourite TV series on Netflix, how long did you take to watch it? The entire thing. Yeah. Did you binge watch it or did you just limit yourself to once every couple of weeks dipping into it? Oh, no. If it
0: can be binge watch, I I may not do it all. I wouldn't do it all in one setting, but I might do it one setting every night rather than once a week.
1: Yeah. What what drives that emotional desire to just watch it uh, way faster than you've ever consumed TV in the past?
0: Yeah, it's the, it's the whole idea of it's a page turner. At the end of one, you, there's something missing. It's not completed. You need to know what's, what happens next. It's you're the bought whole. in, you're
1: engaged, yeah. there's a story yeah. and what have you. Yes, yes. Um, yes. Look at your deals uh, and have a look. At, one Is is, is the customer binge watching your product or service? And whereas you used to have meetings once every couple of weeks, you can have a meeting on a Monday and you'll have another meeting on the Wednesday with the next step in the process. And the next meeting could be... Uh, actually, could be on demand on Friday. Here's some homework. And then you have another meeting on the Tuesday. Yeah? You know that person's brought in emotionally and is and is, mm. and is sat on the edge of their seat because this is important to them. They're enjoying it. You know, I'm drawing the analogy out. And if they're not... Think about how you can create that binge-watching process. Mm. Mm. Uh, How how are we going to create the needs, wants, aspirations and desires to engage in the next step of your journey? You're going to have to be more premeditated because you can't just make it up as you go. This isn't, you know, the, the customer needs to feel like one of those books you used to have as a kid, I don't know if you ever saw them, you know, it's like you get to page 31, it says, if you want to go into the woods, turn to page 72, but if you want to go to the shots, turn to page 104. And it's like, but the book's written, but the customer feels like they're choosing which page to go to.
0: Mm. Yes. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, and what I'm, what's going through my head is, what what has to happen for somebody to be that director of that narrative, um, if director director is the right title? It's because if, if, if you if your job if you think your job is a nine to five to show up and make X number of calls, you're you, you're not there. You're 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 not you're not at the races. It it has to have I, I would imagine an obsession. Uh, certainly a high level of energy to be always one step ahead of the customer as you unveil the next episode mm. and that's that's it's a talent, but there's something more than, than a talent. I think you have to have an incredible
1: hunger and drive
0: talk to me about that you have
1: to, yeah it uh... Uh, you do, uh, and uh, and I'm not contradicting myself when we said in an earlier episode. I said sometimes if you don't believe in your product or service, you might actually be better at turning the cod of because you kind of need to mm. be. You, you're sceptical already, yeah. Mm. And, and what I'm certainly not suggesting is just because you've written the book already that you're going to prescribe a process. You know, sales isn't something that's done to somebody, yeah. Mm. But you need to be authentic. You genuinely need to care. You know, I, I I, I, actually go on to a number of sales calls I get pulled into. Uh, and, you know, I've been told off by a couple of reps on occasion where I've, I've actually gone off for 10 minutes because they've said something that genuinely interests me. And I actually start talking about our business and asking them questions about how they would fix this, that or the other. Um, you know, to get that done. I, I'm told subsequently it was... Uh, those moments that actually drew them to us because they could just tell we were genuinely interested in the problems and oh. challenges that we're trying to face, oh. or, you know, trying to focus on and work through. So yeah, you oh. need to be authentic. Um, yeah. uh, you need to be in the moment. Um, you you need to keep asking questions until you understand because oftentimes, you know, prospects will chuck stuff out uh, and maybe they haven't thought about it as much as they should do either, which, mm-hmm. you know, th- th- uh, you know, again, that, heart, uh, you know, that I'm a huge fan of the pain funnel when you're going through that stuff, but, you know, helping people to discover where they're at, is critical in that. And then, and then once you've listened to that, you then need to hear it. And you need to be able to, you know, to relay that back to other people in the business uh with with impact
0: yeah
1: one of the things i see
0: regularly and i'm curious to get your take on it is this notion of trusted advisor and i think it's the biggest obstacle to making the kind of progress you're talking about with prospects because words have meaning and words have weight and the idea of you know when we think about what advisors do they advise and so if that's your identity and how you see yourself as an advisor which is there to tell them what they need to do, it's going to be very difficult to get to that stage. Rather, And, and so being a trusted advisor, even though it might sound simple, versus a trusted guide, I think can be a quite a powerful switch in terms of both attitude and then from that approach and and, and how we get to... And I said director and I was I was talking about being the director uh, as an analogy, mm. and I knew when I was saying it, it wasn't right. I think it's more of the narrator and that you're working with them to discover what the story should be so that it's not, you're not going in and saying, here's the story, now where do you fit into it? It's mm. what's the story and what does it look like and where does it go? And that our job is, is, is almost like the, 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 the ghost writer. Where somebody else is telling the story, and, and and our job is really just to capture it, and, and and occasionally shape it. I don't know if that 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 works,
1: but it does. And um, the best trusted advisors I've ever had never tell me that. I'm just thinking of uh, you know I have a, a mentor for me or, or a coach I work with externally. He's never told me anything. Uh, uh, Probably has the answers, but still never tells me anything. Oh, that's interesting. What what things have you considered already to do that? I, you know, it's pain funnel stuff, <laughs> right? But ultimately, you know, it, it's got to be their solution to the problem. The skill is asking, is to keep asking questions until they work working out. You know, the fact, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, you know. I said every software company tastes like chicken it's not people have the answers they just haven't spent the time looking for yeah, it yeah and you know so when I'm asking people you know when I think I, I you know I said right okay so you know you've got a huge issue mid-funnel where you know you're losing opportunities to apathy and they're like huh you know I said so Know, what stuff have you found out already? Well, I found out X, Y, and Z. All right. So, what what things do you think you could do about that? A, B, and C. All right. Okay. And and you know. And which ones have you tried? And you just keep going through it. And they say, yep. and you know. And then what i was hoping to do, hoping was that you might be able to help with C. I'd be yeah. all right. Okay. How would you see us helping in C then? Just want to see what. It's just all the way to paint yeah. pictures. Picture. So I said, yeah. so what you're telling me is if we could do this, this, and this, then so, you know, uh, how would you like to discover if we could do that? You know, where should we go in the organization and, and how how should we do that? How would you like uh, me to sell you? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, because uh, my sense is you have probably sat through a thousand demos before and you don't want another product walkthrough. What does that look like for you? Well, uh, we'd like a free pilot for three months. Okay, the, the worst words that any sales rep, you know, sales rep hears. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, how often do you do pilots? Uh, well, we've done a few over the last year, and 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 how those pro- Oh yeah, we went. We didn't go forward with any of them. We just weren't able to commit as a business to make them successful, and we ended up buying something else. Huh? So you don't want to do business with us? <laughs> If you want to have a pilot, <laughs> they went. Oh yeah, I kind of get what you go with this. And so you know, so yeah. so what's other ways that we could turn up? Sure, I love are just writing the playbook, writing it all yeah, down, yeah. and then basically, oh, there's the buyer's journey, and go no yeah. goes. You know, it's the ultimate contract. You know, in a in another terminology, but I find, you know, it, it feels like uh, you know, people people rush in these meetings to prescribe the next step. And actually, if they just spent 10 minutes talking it through, they wouldn't have to rush in any other meeting after that. And then all you should do is, rather than just taking gospel according to one, once you've got that process, the other three or four people you've spoken to is, no, I spoke to Paul, he was talking about this process. Oh, by the way, we also discounted all of this other stuff. And here's the reasons why, because again, put it into context for them, help them not to look stupid. Uh, What's the gaps? What have we not thought of? Not yeah. not what do you want to add to the process? What are the gaps? what haven't we thought of that would enable you to make a decision? Oh, I think we need to do this and this. all right, okay, but how do you think that would help? Mm. so on and so forth, and then you've just got a process that everybody's happy with
0: yeah if we the way you're describing it sounds to me like the the entire thing is enti- it's entirely socratic yeah it's, it really is. Uh, it's, you, you, you have a good sense because you've done this, but you're not imposing that. You're there to help them. Because I think in life, most of us, when we're confronted with any kind of personal challenge, we know in our gut what to do. We just haven't spent time bringing that to a conscious level where we can confront it and make choices. Yeah. And what you're saying is it's very similar in a business context. People, if they really sat down with a pen and paper, they'd figure it out. But they haven't because that's trouble and I've got ten other things that are on my plate right now that I need to do. And therefore you need somebody to come along and really hold you accountable to kind of say, okay, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um, uh, and, and what I don't want the audience to go away with is uh, what I've just kind of role-played to myself there wasn't something that's off the cuff, it isn't art. That, if you listen to those calls, if you listen to 50 or 60 calls that I've had with people at that stage, they actually all sound the same. Mm-hmm. There is a brutal science to what's going on there. There's a structure underneath it. It's a bit like if you, you know, if you if you looked at the the DNA of it, it's exactly the same. It's just you know, um, it just has that emotional overlay to it. Which, yeah. which allows it to feel very familiar and very personalized. Yeah. I think with what you're saying is that
0: the, 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 the science is in what conversations we're having and how those conversations are structured. The art is in the tonality, the pose, the pitch.
1: Yeah.
0: The contact, it's, it's the unwritten side of it. It's, it's how do you do it? You know, it softly and when do you pose? That to me is the art. Um, yeah, and and it's impossible to separate the two. But uh, yeah. come to me. I, I know you have a very strong uh, sense or opinion on when to bring senior executives into sales calls. Yeah, talk to me about that because I I think this everybody needs to hear this.
1: Yeah, there's uh, and I can't whiteboard on here, which is uh, so. Uh, imagine if you will. Uh, a graph on the y-axis is value and on the x-axis is time. Mm. And there's a, there's a line that obviously goes down and to the right. So the potential to create value in an opportunity is at its highest in the early stages. Oh. And it's at its lowest in the latter stages. And that's because kind of, you know, the customers zoning in on what they see as a solution and what the perceived value of that solution is, right? There is if you close an opportunity too late, this is where you get into discounting. Is that, you know they've closed it down to the point at which the value they perceive is now lower than your price, and you end up having to you either have to walk away and and say you know you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, or beer tastes champagne, you know champagne tastes beer money, or you have to discount it. And what happens is is most salespeople at that stage panic bring in the the boss to fix the problem that they've created which mm-hmm. is they didn't create enough value at the beginning and they probably left it too long and uh and then the execs get a bad name because they re- walk in recognize immediately the only way to get this done is you know give us a figure and if we're happy with it we'll do business and the reps thinking they've just cost me you know a grand in commission so mm-hmm. to fix that i advocate that you have if you've If you're premeditated about the deals you're going after, you will have done an account plan before you even start the opportunity. Another bugbear of mine. Sales reps only do account plans when the opportunity is opened. Yeah. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to get 50 miles away from home and then I'm going to get the atlas out and work out how to get there. Nobody starts a journey without a route. You know, you don't you don't leave your mobile phone at home and then try and work out how to get there. You put it in ways first and you work out what time to leave and all the rest of it. So we won't get onto that just yet. But bring the exec in early because the chances of them, one, being able to attract a higher audience to an initial meeting, bringing in my exec would be great to have your exec in a meeting as well, what have you. Two is they'll have more stories, more anecdotes, more proof points. They'll be able to... Uh, to talk the exec's language, they'll probably, you know, I'm living in 2022 planning Any exec comes on the call. First thing I say to him is to say, have you got a clue what's going on in the business that I've over? I've been in mine for a month. I've been in 2022 planning. We have five minutes on that. Yeah. That allows you to potentially create higher value at the beginning because I see hundreds of deals. My reps see tens of deals. What it also does uh, is it builds a relationship that should I need to get involved again at the end, I can pull them back to the beginning. Mm. Remember when we, ta- I know you've kind of gone down this, I remember when we spoke about, these other three areas as well. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, let's have a, and, and to build that value back up again, or at least uh, mm. to have that uh, conversation where you know the, the damage is limited somewhat. But you've got to get the execs involved at the beginning. Mm.
0: That can be a great excuse as well. If a rep is talking to somebody in the prospects organisation that isn't high enough, that it can be. Look, I from the rep's point of view, I, I'm going to bring in my executive. Can we do a kind of a peer level review? Can you bring in somebody from your side as well? Um, otherwise, yeah, you're going to kind of yeah. get stuck, and it takes just a whole lot longer, and you never get to true value.
1: Yeah, the the perfect deal starts with somebody senior you then go and speak to people because they'll say right okay this is a good idea i need you to go and work with emma jane and bob on that so you then go and work with the folks who need to work out does it fit for our business and then it always comes back to somebody senior to sign the check yeah yeah um and if you're really good when you're going through that process at the bottom of that bell curve is you're sending status updates oh just to let you know we had a great meeting it's progressing well we uncovered this if that's important okay. you let us know there's no action on you i'm just giving you a status update senior people love yeah. status updates yeah. the worst opportunities is where you start you know with with people in the department you get dragged down into yeah. the feature and then then you have to go to the exec to go and get the money and they're going well, i don't know anything about this uh, and you're yeah. trying to drag yeah. yourself through so yeah. what you if, if they've started with somebody uh, uh, and they're in the departmental level, um, the tactic I'll give people is uh, never, never ask who can I go and speak to? Because what you're basically saying is they're not important. Oh. Ask them questions that you know the execs can answer and they probably can't and say where or how could we get this information? And then they'll be more inclined to take It's difficult But asking, you know, who's your CMO or can I speak to this person will rub somebody's back up if we're talking about the emotional thing. Where can I find out this information and who could we speak to? You could say that secondly, but, you know, where and how? uh, A uh, lot better ways of emotionally uh, getting yourself from departments up to execs. And have you a sense of when
0: you're looking to bring in senior execs from the prospect side, what level you should go to because clearly if you're selling something that isn't a high-ticket item you're not going to get the CEO of a large company to come and attend that meeting so there's no. there's, there's a, a, a relationship there somewhere
1: yeah you'll know who your you know to use a traditional term you'll know who your economic buyer is who's if you were to have a long-standing relationship where they bought more and more of your stuff over time you would know in your company who the economic buyer for that is. And that could be a director or a VP, or it might be the CFO or, or, or whoever. Um, if you can, your first trend, again, good salespeople will engineer a deal that's small enough to get through the process quickly so they can binge watch it, but big enough that the person who's going to be your long-term economic buyer needs to be involved. Mm. Now, so take an example, let's say you are selling to a large telco, right? If I'm selling an 80K solution, it's a departmental decision, I'm stuck in a department,
0: mm.
1: right? If I can turn that, and it might be they're only consuming 80 grand's worth of my stuff, and I'm thinking, well, that's the list price. Tough. You've got to find a way, if you can get it to about 200 grand, somebody senior is now signing that off, and so you've got to, you know, don't be lazy and do 80K. Your lifetime value of that customer might be 110. If you can sign it at 200K, where the senior person's involved, it's, it's big enough for them to care, but small enough for you to be able to binge watch it, that 200K could become million and a half lifetime value. So this is again where I, I, I'd see, especially in the upper segments, corporate and enterprise sellers land and expand can be a disease of mediocrity.
0: Expand on that one, please.
1: Uh, that's, that's, they that's take the, they, yeah. So they they take too small a deal with the initial land. They do, gotcha. it, you know la, land land with a fairy step or land with a thud that everybody hears. Mm. And that's why I said. They said work out a number. It's all part of strategy for having great meetings. Mm. Because if I'm, if I'm turning up to do a 250K deal as my land, I'm turning up differently to the 40K departmental pilot. Mm. And that would, that completely, so work out in the business how much do they have to spend for the senior people to care but to still be able to binge watch the process and get through it without going through some three-year RFP and having you know lots of other people get involved and just make it too complicated and big. Yeah, I'm trying to resolve in my head at the moment
0: the concept of sell today, education tomorrow, and this idea of don't just accept what it is, but go look to you know, land with a thud is what you're saying. Yeah, Um, because they would sound at one level to be incompatible. I know they're not,
1: but I'm trying to find the link. Yeah, well, I I I remember. Uh, HSBC was a client in my previous company, one of the biggest customers for us, it was millions of dollars of ARR for us. And we mm. were trying to get t- our economic buyer was the CFO of IT. Mm. And mm. we got half an hour with them. And we realized they're not our economic buyer. That person was responsible for spending just short of seven billion a year on OPEX. Mm. And spending half an hour with us to spend, you know, six, $7 million, is was a waste mm. of their time yeah they didn't actually have the hours in a day to do it so you know when you when you look at people and and uh, and the way that they think as a buying organization is you know if i've got if i've got a 300 million dollar target i'm not turning up to meetings that is a 40,000 dollar solution because it's just not going to have an impact on my business mm-hmm. you know just just at their level they think right i've got a 400 million dollar target i need to be spending 6 million dollar chunks to make an impact on that. Have me speak to people who are going to cost me six, seven million dollars to work with. Yeah, uh, And so then if it's a land, okay, yeah, so half a million land, I can kind of see that. We'll have a dabble with it, have a gamble if it works out. I know I'm going to be spending another one or two. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, it's a little bit Harvey Specter out of suits, you know, play, play the man, don't play the cards type thing. But, you know, you've you made it famous before, you know, it's not their money, it's their arse on the line. You've, this is how you position stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tom, I could talk to you all day about this. It's, it's fascinating. But we have, again, come up against the buffers. Um, thank you again for joining me. I know we'll pleasure. be back next month looking at another topic. And uh, if people have any questions on this or this, uh, questions for Tom, please get them in. And I'll put them to Tom on our next call for sure. But for now, Tom Cassidy, thank you very much for being my guest. Pleasure.
1: Have a great day.